Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Center act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your etiquette questions on obligations. Oh, we so rarely do a themed show, but we had one. We've got questions on airplane aisle seat obligations, invitation obligations, online dating obligations, baby shower hosting obligations, and house guest host cleanup obligations. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on sharing checks. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm an auntie. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) There's a new post in the world. so cute. So my sister, Anna Post, who worked for the Institute for quite a long time and has authored many of our books and done many of our seminars, we are going to get her on the show eventually. Yes, we are. But she gave birth to my nephew uh, on Thursday, August 24th, and his name is Jasper Serafini Post. Serafini is one of her husband's family names, Mm -hmm. and they both just really liked Jasper, and so that's kind of how his name came about. I'm so jealous. I can't wait to meet him. You get to hang out with this brand new little baby. Tell me, what's it like being an aunt? It's so special. It is different from being a cousin, which, you know, I have that connection with Anisha. And because you and I are so close, I have that connection with Anisha. But it is really different when it's your sister's kid. And he's like, you see your parents just being so overwhelmingly excited and proud. Proud of her. Proud of Matt, her husband. Like, just everything. There's just so much joy in my family right now. And that's a beautiful thing for us to experience for our little little family. <laughs> so I, I have a window in, yeah. and one of my favorite parts so far have been the pictures that you've been sharing in the <laughs> office, and some of it's the so photos cute. of your mother and father, Peter and Trisha Post, holding their little grandson, beaming. just beaming. I know. Um, priceless, yeah. wh- whatever you want to call it, it, it's been a delight. And I see the smile on your face now, and it looks like the smile on your mother's face in some of those photos. Well, and my sister and her husband and little Jasper live three doors down from me. So now that they're home, I'm going to get to swing by and say hi to my little nephew, and we'll be able to go for little walks and things like that. So it's a lovely time. Um, I will say the hospital visits were interesting. Do tell. Okay, so we had just talked about hospital visits, so I felt super prepped. Did did that inspire the segment? Uh, Yeah, it totally did. It was also inspired from just what you all dealt with. Mm -hmm. I think what was interesting for me was just how 
um, nervous I was to be reaching out, that this really felt like private time for my sister and her husband and little Jasper. And also for my my parents, you know, it was like they they were getting first crack at any kind of contact, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. First baby, mom and mom. You know what I mean? Like that makes a lot of sense. But it was really hard to feel confident reaching out. Like, I felt really confident saying, hey, I'm going over to feed your cat. Is there anything you want me to leave at the house? Do it that. Like, I was so good about good that. Good etiquette moves. Right. But I really did not feel comfortable saying, when's a good time for a visit? Like, can I come up? You wanted to keep asking, what's his name? Or what other details do you know that you could tell me? But you felt like you were really prying. So for me, that was a real struggle. And I kept leaning on my parents to ask them what Matt and Anna would prefer. And so I kind of used a buffer zone as a, just to get a sense because I wasn't sure. But when I was there the first day, like my sister was definitely wiped out. She was she was tired. And so it makes, makes sense, sense. Right. <laughs> yeah, nine and a half months of making a baby and then deliver. Yeah. Um, so she she was really tired and wiped out, which what I wasn't expecting. But she was really good about encouraging like the baby to be held or for us to let him you know suck on a finger or something like that um she was just very encouraging of letting us be around the baby especially in moments where she couldn't because she's recovering and so it was an interesting balance of once you were there it felt really really nice but I was really really timid to ask about when I could come or what I could do and and that sort of thing so it was an interesting balance well and, and you're a very special relationship you're the sister and aunt Yes. And I'm reminded about all of those people who are even one more sphere removed or one more connection removed. And figuring out the way to include those people is a trick. It is. I would encourage parents to um, to both protect themselves and their energy levels on those first few days in the hospital with a new baby. Like, do really decide whether it's time for you to have visitors or not. And I thought my sister did a really great job of letting us know if she was tired or if just there was just too much going on in the room. You know what I mean? And she was able to do it without making us feel bad that that situation had occurred or, you know, like she was just very gentle, like, oh, I think I just need um, a little quieter space right now. And that was like a really gentle way to let us know, like, keep your voice low or bring your energy down a bit or, you know, like maybe time to step out of the room and or time for the visit to be over. But it was very uh, easily conveyed as opposed to the stress of I need something and I don't want to tell people to get out. And so she had really found the good words and the right sample script for herself, which was really great. I can't wait to get that little He's nugget so in my cute. arms. He also. doesn't look like a little old man. He's so cute. He looks like this tiny, cute little thing. When He's you so say cute. suck on a finger, yes, too, it know. takes me back to those very First early days. days when pretty much we, we used to call her this. We used to call Anisha, my daughter, yeah. the sucker fish because <laughs> she was always looking for something, something to suck on. Something, yeah. No, it's very sweet, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting to see him as he grows up. So thank you for letting me share that, though. I've been a, wait, waiting to meet him and so excited, and it was such a big kind of weekend for us. Well, so. And we've been waiting to share this news yes. with a lot of the Post fans out there that, that know the family and know and Anna. Know Anna yeah, I've and, and it's been such a delight yeah. to, to share this with all of you. Um, but I bet we really want to share some answers to Anakin questions. So. We should do that. All right. 
Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is about aisle seat obligations. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I've been a listener for almost a year and I'm finally in sync with your Monday releases. Welcome! I regret that I am a bit delayed in writing this question. However, my fiancé and I are in the middle of planning our October wedding on Cape Cod. That's going to be beautiful. Congratulations. Congrats to you, Dan, on your wedding and your new additions. Raju and Anisha, how exciting. Love the show and have turned a few of my friends onto it. Thank you. Thank you for playing a role in making our world more honest, kind, and compassionate. Here's the background on my question. My fiancé and I were traveling on a red-eye home in June from a vacation in Washington State. I booked the tickets and always let my fiancé have the window seat as he enjoys looking out the window. I never mind the middle seat, especially if I get to sit next to him. So cute. Anyway, here's my question. Regarding the person who sat in the aisle of our row. Of course, during a six-hour flight, it is likely that your roommates will need to use the restroom or get up to stretch their legs a couple of times throughout the flight. Whenever I sit in the aisle seat, I always take care to physically get up from my seat and move out of the way when my rowmates need to exit the row. While we were on the red-eye flight, my fiancé and I were respectful and only exited the row when we noticed that the person on the aisle seat was awake. Instead of physically getting up, the individual did not move at all, which forced my fiancé and I to essentially climb over the person on the aisle seat. We said excuse me and were polite. 
After the flight, my fiancé and I were discussing this behavior and thought it to be odd and rude. I think that if you're in the aisle seat, one of the risks you take is that you will need to physically get up from your seat to allow your roommates to use the restroom, walk around, etc. Are we out of line? Perhaps we could have asked our roommate. I'm sorry to ask, but do you mind standing up so that we don't need to climb over you? Thanks so much, Crystal. Crystal, thank you for the question. I like the window, too. So if I were your fiancé, I would so much enjoy your consideration in that regard. I like to fall asleep against that, that wall there. It's nice to have a place to rest your head. I also just want to acknowledge it's definitely getting tight in the backs of planes. And this is a, a point of etiquette that we hear about. And I think you're really wise to be thinking about best practices in these spaces. As far as the standing up expectation, I think it's often easiest. I agree with you and your fiancé on that, particularly as that space gets tighter and tighter. If I'm on the aisle like you, I often find the easiest thing to do is just to get out of the seat. And if the person's heading to a back restroom, I step forward. If the person's heading to a front restroom, I step back. Then you're out of each other's way. As far as asking someone to stand up, I think that gets into slightly trickier territory. You just don't know exactly what someone's situation is. For some people, that's easier. For some people, it's harder. I definitely would hold myself accountable to that standard as much as was possible. At the same time, I think that when you're stepping over someone, asking them to get out of the way might start to cross into that territory no, where you're I'm you're you. you're projecting on them something, an expectation that that might or might not make sense for them. No, I think you're right. And what I would advise is that if there's some physical reason that you cannot stand and you feel comfortable saying something or at least acknowledging, you don't have to say why. You could say, I'm terribly sorry, but I, I really do need to remain seated. I apologize for asking you to climb over me, but please feel free to do so. I deal with this all the time. I'm sorry if it's awkward at all. That's a nice thing for the person who needs to remain seated to do to instigate like, hey, I know I'm about to ask you to climb over me, but I'm okay with it if it means I don't have to stand up. I'm just sorry that it might inconvenience you. But that's when you really have that physical need. There's some reason why this would be difficult. Otherwise, I'm with Dan. I think it's really important that you stand up and you move out of the way. Even maybe you don't have to use the restroom or or go ask something of a flight attendant, but you just get up to walk around for a minute to give your roommates a chance to get out and use the restroom. You can even as that aisle person turn and ask, hey, guys, let me know if you if you ever need to get up. If I'm sleeping, feel free to tap me on the shoulder. I might jolt awake because that's just me. But please, I would rather you do that than think that you're sitting there wishing I was awake. You know, those are the types of communications that you can make that are going to have this go smoothly. If you're on the inside, so let's say you're not that aisle seat, um, you you really do want to try to pick your times as best you can. So when that aisle person is up and using the restroom, that's a really good time to go use the restroom or get up and stretch your legs even for a moment. You know, you don't have to have a an exact need to just take advantage of that time where you can get up and out of that seat very easily. Be aware of meals in the carts and when they're moving and coming and going. Um, That sort of thing is, is kind of standard airline seat behavior. I'd like to pay attention to whether somebody's at the critical point in a movie or... Oh, you go above and beyond, my friend. Way to go. The other thing I look for are trays. Are people using their trays? Does someone have their laptop out? Are they in the middle of work? Is it cumbersome? Is it cumbersome? Is it a pain? One of the situations that I find sort of curious where I find myself playing etiquette games in my head is when I'm on the window seat. I mentioned I like that and I often find myself there, often traveling alone for business. And the person on the aisle will get up and stand up, but the person in the middle often doesn't. doesn't. 
And <laughs> so you often do have to get over one person and navigating that and communicating to both of those people. And I, I <laughs> two people. <laughs> I really liked your tip to check in early on in a flight, yeah. just to, to engage the people around you. And I know sometimes that leads to conversations that seem to go on endlessly. But just a, a quick check in, I think, is oftentimes a good idea, particularly at the start of one of these longer flights, because that person's going to be your ally in the yes. experience that is to and come. Even you know, if you have to use the restroom a lot, you might let the person know that. Say, I'm terribly sorry, but I, I happen to need the restroom frequently, so I apologize that I may ask frequently to get up to go use the lavatory. So, Crystal, in terms of the direct ask, I think Dan's right. You want to leave that as a last resort. And if you do make that ask, you would want to make sure that you are also leaving the out for being understanding if the person says no. Because let's say that the person in the middle or the window seat has difficulty moving or, you know, this climb over is actually going to be really hard for them to do. That's the kind of situation where I'm thinking it's not bad to, to venture that ask. And let's try some sample language here. I'm terribly sorry. I, I always like terribly sorry, even though a lot of other people don't like that. And Dan's like cringing across the mic for me. And I'm like, I don't know. It's all right. It's like sometimes it, find, find those words that make the apology feel comfortable to you. Mm-hmm. So what you might try doing is saying something like, I'm terribly sorry, or whatever form of getting to the apology that you feel comfortable with. So I'm, I'm sorry, but I do have difficulty climbing over. Would you mind standing up or is it possible for you to stand up? Those gentle asks, those light words that give permission for the other person to say no. You could even say, if not, I understand this might just take me a minute to maneuver. Those are the kinds of things you can say to get sort of around this um, in a gentle way and test the waters and see if that person is willing and able to stand up. Crystal, it sounds like you and your fiancé are delightful people to travel next to, and I know Dan and I both hope we might end up next to you or a couple just like you on one of our next flights. Through day skies and night skies, great man-made birds go winging over our head. The way these mechanical birds sail along through the sky looks surprisingly simple, but is it so easy? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Our next question is about invitations and obligations. Hello, I'm a first-time mother of the groom from Seattle, Washington. Our son attended schools out of state beginning at age 16. Therefore, many of our friends barely know or have never met him. He and his fiance live in Texas, where the wedding will be held. My husband and I feel odd about inviting more than just a few of our closest friends to the wedding. Many just wouldn't feel compelled to make the trip, and I wouldn't want them to feel obligated to send a gift to someone they barely know. Is it right to exclude them? Would it be proper to skip the wedding invite and instead hold a dinner reception here in Seattle, say several months after the wedding, for these 20 or so friends? 
Or does that make them feel like the B team? We would so appreciate some help here, Pamela. Pamela, congratulations on your son's wedding. What a fun family event. Um, I can reassure you that your plan sounds great and that it's really up to the couple and to you as the hosts, depending on who's hosting this party, as to who gets invited to the wedding. So I think it's really important for you to feel like the people that you are inviting are the right list. And it is an obligation when you send a wedding invite. So I think you're very smart to not obligate these folks to a gift to someone that they barely know. And I would probably look to a few of your friends who did stay in touch with your son as he was growing up and was 16 and 17, 18, 19 into his 20s. But I would not go beyond that. I would say that if they didn't really play a role, even if they're your best friends, they didn't really play a role in your son's life. So there is no reason to really have them at that wedding. There are some cultures in which the parents are for weddings, the parents' um, obligation is more about honoring all the people that have supported the parents that have allowed them to then support the children. That's one cultural way to go about it. But if your culture doesn't suggest that or doesn't say that that's a necessary accommodation to be making, absolutely keep this party to the people that really know the couple very well or know your son very well. And I love the idea of having more of a hometown party that's kind of your bigger, more extended friends party for the couple when they come to visit, you know, later on. Uh, I think that that is absolutely the way to handle this. I would not worry about explaining to people limited guest sizes. I wouldn't worry about saying, well, we didn't want to obligate you None of those things. You just simply invite who you're going to invite. Don't invite who you're not going to invite. And then throw your party later on that's this extra party for the bigger group. I couldn't agree more. I think that the etiquette considerations here about who you invite regarding people's closeness to the couple and how far they have to travel really do apply. Those are you're thinking about the right smart things. Um, I also like your point that sometimes it's about having a couple people there that are supporting you as a parent. Like as a a parent, you really are a, a very key player in the lives of these people. And it can be really nice to have some people there to celebrate with you as well as with your son and his fiance. You're too soon. I don't think I made that point, but I'm glad you did. I think that was that's a really good consideration that just a couple people to support the parents isn't isn't a bad thing, you know, not at all. Like and that's a nice and it's nice for the parents to get to share with those couple of friends, too. But it doesn't need to be 20 couples. It doesn't. And it, it is absolutely not a B team no, not at all. Signal that you're sending by having a reception for the hometown community for friends of the parents as well as friends of the family later on. In fact, it is it is common and it is a really nice gesture. It's a really nice way to include people who can't make the wedding because of considerations like how far away it is. My guess is that the that the friends who know about the wedding but aren't invited are going to be pretty relieved that they don't have to determine whether or not they're going to buy tickets and go do this thing and buy a gift and all of that. Like I think I think you're going to find that you actually uh, cause more relief than strife with this one. Pamela, we hope that answer helps and we hope you have a fantastic time both at the wedding and at the party that you have back home later on. So the third question that we have in our theme of obligations today is, and I realized we didn't announce that theme earlier on. It just kind of emerged with the questions that we chose. But this one is on dating obligations. And this is a very short question. We are in the times of online dating. First meeting is usually just lunch or coffee. 
Is it a breach of etiquette for a man to schedule several first meetings on the same day? Now, I would venture to extend this that it could be man or woman. You know, it doesn't matter who who is doing the multi-date scheduling. But these are first dates. Bruised is what this is signed. So I just want you to know, Bruised, like my heart feels for you. Mine's a little bruised in the dating world, too. And so I'm feeling you and I want people to be really considerate when they're starting dates. But these are first dates. And you, Daniel Postsunning, have given me some good advice about what a first date, especially if you are doing online dating, what a first date should really be. And you get it from Dan Savage, right? Yeah, I'm going to amplify some advice that I've heard another podcast host, Dan Savage, give about online dating. And he often talks about how in today's world, the the online dating scene has replaced a lot of the in-person venues that mm-hmm. people used to meet at. And it's a pretty common stage in online dating today. And again, not an expert having not done this myself. In this online dating world, it's often common for a first date to be a very quick, casual first meeting. It's about meeting someone in person and seeing if that chemistry, that connection that was made online is going to be viable I don't want to say in real life, but I'm going to say in in person. (laughs) And oftentimes the recommendation from dating experts is you keep those first dates low impact, low stress, a little more casual, that you plan them to be brief or or quicker encounters. And if that's the type of – I'm not even going to call it a first date, first meeting that that you're talking about, I really want to help bruised feel less bruised. The analogy that I would draw would be if you were going out with friends for an evening on the town and you met several people over the course of a night. You might talk to and engage and meet several people over the course of a night and they wouldn't feel so bruised. They wouldn't feel like they were in competition with each other or like someone's attention was spread too thin. Or maybe they would if they saw you flirting with someone else at the same bar. But no, I'm with you. I'm with you. And yeah. there's, a, there's a proximity question right. that starts to starts to be where the are etiquette sitting, comes into like, play. Are you sitting in a cafe and date number two comes up, meeting number two, we'll say, comes up and they're like, um, it's my turn now. And you're like, what the heck? Not being an no, expert, right. I'm going to say bad form. Yeah, bad form. But no, I think that this makes sense. To me, I don't think it's a bad thing for someone to schedule multiple coffee dates on the same day. I think I would try to not be in the same location. I think I would try to make sure they're spaced far enough apart that people aren't going to be bruised. They're not going to feel badly about this. But I would expect in the first meeting stage that you really are doing exactly what Dan and Dan Savage have talked about, which is this is your chance to see if there's a physical, ooh, hi, who are you? Like, yes, we click. Um, But that's really kind of all that meeting is for, unless that goes really well and y'all want to carry it on later. But I think that you want to be delicate with multiple meetings on one day. And I think you want to be clear when you're setting up meetings that this is just a quick hello um, to see if we get along in person. And that might take some of the sting out of it if you and the other people that you're interacting with are both coming to these first meetings with that assumption. The one thing I will say is that we don't know how much communication happened between Bruce and this person before. Bruce could have been really led on to assume Mm -hmm. that this is a great connection verbally or through the messaging systems. And that could lead you to think that maybe this is supposed to be more than just a first meeting or something like that. So do be careful in your initial interactions. Um, Dan, one of the things that you always said that you had heard about online dating was that keep your interactions short and get to that first meeting quickly so that you can really determine and you're not just living through this filter of text on a screen where you're assuming their tone, you're assuming their intention, 
you know, get to those in-person meetings quickly so that you can really determine what is happening between the two of you. I also want to acknowledge that sometimes, as you point out, there has been more communication. There's been a different kind of expectation that's developed. And I know personally, not being a big extrovert, that I find social experiences take something out of me. And if a first date was really a first date, if we're talking about dinner and a movie or going for a hike together or something that really is um, more of a commitment, both in terms of time and emotional investment, I might say to myself, that's not something that I personally would want to schedule multiple in the same day. Yeah, no, you might not even have time to. From my, Just from my own perspective, and I would also really want to take more care with the expectations that I built up in someone else's mind. Yeah. So if, if that's what we're talking about here, all of a sudden I'm starting to to really sympathize with Bruised, and I do think there's the potential to, to hurt someone's feelings. And I think it's important that we take care of each other's feelings, particularly when we're talking about romance and the dating world where people's feelings really are involved. Dan's right. We all have great intentions. And in the world of etiquette, the dating world should be really a lovely place to operate. But it isn't always. And I would say, Bruised, um, be kind to yourself and know that the right person is going to come along and that you are going to have those experiences where that first date or that first meeting feels great and you feel secure about the person that you're on it with. And I really hope that you write back to us letting us know that you've had some really successful first, second, third, maybe fourth dates, maybe even a little anniversary kicking in. Um, So bruised, I'm right there with you and good luck. So Woody decided he'd ask Anne for this first date. But just how should he ask her? And what if she refused? No, it won't be easy asking for that first date. Connie wrote to us via Facebook. You offer to give someone a baby shower, and it is just a couple weeks after finding out they are pregnant, and they say, We appreciate it, but we have a couple of others that have already planned one, and we plan to use XYZ stuff, but thank you, though. The pregnant woman's mother then texts you and says they think they are going to do one big shower and asks if you want to help with it. I'm really torn on what to do. What would be the proper thing to do? If her daughter rejected my offer, am I still obligated to help because I offered? My own child is now expecting... And the one I offered to give the shower for has given my child all her first child things. I would like to do what is proper and right, but I don't know what is proper or right in this situation. Dan, I got this. We, like, just went through this. I've been to two of my sister's baby showers. Nice. You know, new moms often have a number of people who immediately offer to throw showers as soon as they find out. We call them in my family the fairy godmothers, and it's, like, my mom's friends who love my sister— hopefully one day me um and they do this thing where you know they the, everyone's like oh my gosh you want to do a shower her anna's friends all popped up who would like to do a shower um people want to make sure that new mom is taken care of and or mom of second child is taken care of well yeah done. like awesome right so it's great but it often can feel very overwhelming because a lot of people offer and you want to make sure the right group ends up doing it based on like personalities and ease and comfort levels and you everything don't want the shower to be too big. You don't want too many showers. You got all kinds of things. So often what happens is that the new mom-to-be and often her mother will kind of collect all these people who have made this offer. And then when they decide what they want to do, they reach back out and say either, thank you so much for offering. We've got it covered, but I'd love to make sure that you come to the shower. We'd love to have you there. And then they get your address and you do the whole invitation thing. Or 
they'll do what this um, mom of the pregnant woman has done, which is to say, okay, we figured out how how we're going to do our shower plan. I know you had offered to help her to host, and I wanted to make sure that you had the opportunity to do that. They are giving you the opportunity to do exactly what you had offered to do, and that's it. And you can say, oh, my gosh, it seems like you all have it covered. No worries. I'll just be really excited to bring my best baby gift or whatever it is. Or you might say, oh, Thank you so much. I would love to help. I could contribute in these ways if that's helpful. That lets the host then say, oh, we've already got that covered, but thanks so much. Or that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. Or you really get to be a co-host and now you're into the event planning. But it's really up to you. You've made the offer. They kind of declined your offer and then are coming back saying, here's the new plan. We know you wanted to be helpful and we wanted to give you that chance to help if, if you still wanted it. You could easily say, you know, just in the past couple of months, my own daughter has announced her pregnancy. So I'm focused there, but I would love to attend or I would love to give support any way I could. You might say something like that. Um, or you might just say, you know, my own daughter is pregnant now and my focus is there, but I'm really happy for you guys. And I'm so glad you're going to have such a great shower. All and any of the above will work. Makes sense to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you have any dad who's been through some showers? Any thoughts? My big thought is I love showers. <laughs> I know. You really did love your baby shower. It was fun. I never thought I'd be invited, and it, it turned fun. out to be such a good time. So I guess the only advice I would add is think about inviting dads to these showers. <laughs> the Jack and Jill ones are really, really nice. So there you have it, Anonymous. A couple different choices, really depending on you and your availability, your time, and how you're feeling. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And here's another question on host-guest obligations. Hello, Lizzie and Dan from the far north. I've been a fan of yours since hearing you on The Dinner Party. I'm interested to hear your opinion on a situation that happened with a couple that came for a visit for five days at our cottage up in Canada. Our place in Canada is an isolated, off-the-grid area. We have solar power and collect water and use outhouses. And it takes a major effort to get to. Everything that is brought here is hauled, gathered, picked, grown, or caught with an occasional order of food that comes on a foot ferry. The couple that visited came right before we were having other guests. In other words, the afternoon they left, our other friends were arriving on the ferry two hours later. A quick turnaround, which they were aware of before they came. They were staying in our very comfortable guest cabin that has a kitchen and is about a five-minute walk down the trail from the main house. The morning they left, I asked if they would mind stripping their beds and bringing their towels that were used to the main house, which they did, and they offered to remake the beds. I took them up on their offer. Before they left, we had a lovely seafood lunch, which we prepared and ate at a leisurely outside spot in the sun. We said our goodbyes, and I was left to clean up our dishes and freshen up our house for the next group of friends, sweeping, mopping floors, dusting, etc., which took a good hour and a half. After the main house was done, I took fresh flowers, homemade granola, a bottle of wine, etc. to our guest cabin. I walked in and found the beds had the sheets on, but they were a mess and I had to remake. Dishes were left in the drainer and not put away, the floor was not swept, the counters were not wiped off, and the chairs around the table were all askew. I was so surprised and offended. They knew that the guests were coming and that I would be the one that was cleaning up after them. Did they think I had a cleaning crew that I was hiding from them? What condition should guests leave their room? 
When I am a guest in someone's home, I try to make the room and bathroom clean and neat when I leave. After they left their room this way, I thought back to when they arrived, and they forgot to bring a few items, some nice cheese, a bottle of wine, that we suggested they bring up for their stay. I love having guests, but this is my vacation too. What do you think? Not a B&B. I want to start this by saying not a and b I probably have a very similar internal monologue, and I'm guessing by the nodding of the head across the mic that Dan does too, that the grievances you're talking about and the annoyances you're talking about are exactly that, and they're, they are things that would, re- would run through my head as well. However, I would say your guests actually did exactly what you asked them to do. They brought the sheets and towels up and they remade the bed. You never asked them to sweep. You didn't ask them to do the dishes and put them away. You didn't ask them to do any of the other items that you've listed. So one of the things that a host has to recognize is that guests can be helpful and then guests can be not so helpful. And when you ask a guest to do something like make their bed, there's just no guarantee that they're going to do it to your level of of what would have been helpful. And there's no guarantee that a guest is going to look at your turnaround time of two hours between guests coming and going and think to themselves, oh, my goodness, look at all the things we have to do. This isn't their house. This isn't their cabin. This isn't their property. This isn't their gig. They don't know all the same things that you know about how the house needs to be prepared unless you communicate it to them. So if you want that level of cleanup from your guest, which... I debate in my head about whether a guest needs to be sweeping and mopping floors and putting dishes away. I I think the guests definitely washed them. It would have been nice if they had dried them and put them back too. But they did wash them and put them in the drying rack. That's a good effort. They could have just left everything. So I think we have to be a little bit careful about what we're assuming guests should just know to do, what we're assuming a guest should do as a guest in someone else's home. Remember, this guest isn't your cleaning crew either. I mean, I know you don't have a cleaning crew, but as host, you really are obligated to make things right. It's not fair for you to put that obligation on a guest who's leaving. Now, guests, I'm going to tell you straight up. It's really wonderful when you can go above and beyond and you are really thinking about how your time and impact on the environment you're in is going to affect your host after you leave. But I think a lot of guests have trouble thinking about that. You have fun five days, right? You're going fishing and you're on this amazing off-the-grid. Can I tell you how jealous I am that you have an off-the-grid cabin up in Canada? (laughs) Like That needs a foot ferry to get to. This is amazing to me. I'm like, you have the perfect setup. But they're having fun and everything. And then the next thing they know, they're leaving the next day. Their brain is immediately going to packing, not forgetting things, figuring out of the travel to this kind of complicated place to get to, making sure they are all set to leave. They aren't thinking about setting you up perfectly. They should be thinking about how they can be the best guests and leave the best space. But it's not necessarily a guarantee. Their heads are just in a different place than yours. So it's why communication is so key here. I might say to my guests, before they arrive, when we're booking that time and you know that there's going to be a two-hour turnaround, I would let my guests know, hey, guys, it happens to be that if you leave on Saturday, I'm going to have another couple coming in just after. In fact, you're going to cross on the ferry. I would love it if I could ask you to help me clean and prep the cabin before you go. So if we could save like three hours before your departure time 
just to do this. It's so hard with only my two hands and we have a tight turnaround and I want to spend as much time with you as possible. I want you to stay that extra night. So do you think I could get your buy-in to help me with this before you go? That's the kind of way to approach and get people thinking in the realm that you need them to be. Dan, what else do you think we could say to facilitate this? Because I get where not a B&B is coming from. It is frustrating to clean up that much. It really is. I I love this question. Right. It gets right to the host guest dance and it really gets to one of those to trigger moments in the host guest dance. And I'm thinking back to places I've stayed and how have I handled (laughs) it in this situation. And that's it's it's inspiring a lot of self-reflection on my part. And I I find myself falling in a very sympathetic place with our question asker Mm -hmm. that um it's hard to ask your guests to be good guests. At the same time, I think it's reasonable to hope for and expect that your guests will be good guests. And if you're not at an Airbnb, if you're a guest in someone's home, I like the the leave no trace or campfire rule idea that you make as minimal an impact as possible, Absolutely. that you leave things as put together as is possible. Well, you leave it better than you found it. Or even better than you found yeah. it. And the particular examples given are ones where I say to myself, boy, they could have pushed the chairs in. They could have dried and put away some dishes. At the same time, I also really hear what you say when you say people don't know how to take care of a place as well as you do. I know that I like to be able to bounce a quarter on the bed after I make it, but that not everybody feels as strongly (laughs) (laughs) about hospital corners as I do when you're making a bed. And I like the idea of a host having the generosity of spirit that allows for a guest who might see things a little differently or not have the same eye for it that they do to be part of the equation. That's why I think it's a really great example of that host-guest dance because there's a little latitude that needs to happen on both sides of the equation. I find myself thinking this is how guests don't get invited back. They just end up feeling like they're more trouble than they're worth, like it was more trouble cleaning up for them, like they didn't contribute. So Dan and I are going to go a little back and forth on this, on how right we feel our host is in this situation, how right the guests are in this situation. I'm hearing like, you know, they didn't bring a few items, nice cheese and a bottle of wine. That's expecting your guests to bring you things. Is that really okay? Was it like maybe they said, what could we bring? And then they say cheese and wine and then the people forget it. And then that does kind of feel like, oh, well, thanks. I prepared your guest room. I didn't forget to prepare your guest room. I think this comes back to your point (laughs) about good communication being so key here. Well, that's true. That if that was a clear ask, if it was something that was kind of agreed upon but then didn't happen, that's one thing. If it was just suggested but it wasn't really picked up on, if there wasn't ever any – Um, acknowledgement of that request. I think you've got less standing to hold it as a grievance later on. I I definitely really like that idea that as much communication ahead of time as possible. I loved your framing of this is going to be a quick turnaround. I could use your help on this early. To me, that started to feel like the host guest dance really being done well. And Because there is something to, hi, welcome to the cabin. Here's your chore list that can come across (laughs) strange or or sort of awkward as well. So let's say the guests offer to bring the cheese and wine and then they forget, but they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. We can't believe we forgot it. We know we, we can't just run to a store and get it. Are you then gracious as a host about that? Or now because they didn't push the chairs in and wipe the floor up, you're like, oh, well, they forgot the wine and cheese too. Like this, it's so funny, but I hear Kelly Williams Brown in my head right now going, Gracious, gracious. And this is when 
everything that you're thinking, not a B&B, is like I said, what Dan and I would have in our heads. Boy, these are annoying things. These are like, you weren't a good guest and now you're making more work for me and I'm stressed trying to get this, like da da da. I get it, but that's your not gracious self-talking. So it's okay that those thoughts are in your head. But when it then comes to dealing with your guests, put your gracious self back on and say, mistakes happen. People don't always have the same standards. How much did I communicate well to make sure that I got what I needed done and accomplished out of that? Bring that self to the table when you open your mouth and communicate, you know, and it's okay to have the ungracious self and vent the ungracious self as well, because like, I'm with you. It's a little annoying when people just don't do things to the level that you really wish they had. Not a and b Clearly, you have struck a nerve with this question. Thank you so much for submitting it. And hopefully your next guest leaves the cabin in better condition. The members have learned to live with each other by understanding their obligations and fulfilling them. They cooperate by making each other's chores as light as possible. They are able to enjoy life more because they have more time for enjoyment. Thank you so much for your questions. And please send us updates. Let us know what happened. Did the advice work? Did a different scenario crop up that made th- made things different for you? Tell us. You can leave your comments at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Our first piece of feedback comes from Aria Benjamin. I just finished listening to your shallow dive on spoilers, and I find I'm having something of an emotional reaction to it. My experience is that people who make a big deal about spoilers are usually being far more inappropriate than someone who might even be unintentionally spreading spoilers. When it comes to fiction or narrative, there's actually a growing body of data, Google spoilers don't ruin enjoyment, that agrees with my personal experience that spoilers either don't harm enjoyment or if they do, it's by a lot less than people expect. It's why so many of us reread or rewatch things. Mm. We find the familiar comforting and we enjoy the journey more than the destination. We also like feeling like we know something someone else does not and experiencing that with fictional characters is harmless. I am not an especially enthusiastic sports fan, so I can't speak to that being different or not. I understand not wanting spoilers, and I agree that we should be cognizant of not taking away even a little bit of enjoyment from our friends or colleagues. Making a big deal about it, though, is nothing more than an aggressive form of virtue signaling. I guessed the twist to The Sixth Sense out loud to my (laughs) friends while watching the trailer. It didn't spoil the movie for anyone. I did learn to keep those guesses limited to myself (laughs) and specific friends who will want to hear and or discuss them. I like that permission there of I did learn to just not do this with everybody. But, you know, it's no, it's a good point. People make a really big deal about spoilers. I think mostly because we live in such a digital online world where you're reading a lot of things, you're seeing a lot of stuff cross your path. So it's very easy even when you go to the lengths of avoiding conversation to just accidentally see something. I think it's really important for the person who is trying to not experience a spoiler to be calm about how they communicate that. I like that jump in perspective. That Yeah, you do your best not to spoil something, but overreacting to it is not appropriate either. And this is coming from someone who loves to reread and rewatch again and again and again. So I certainly understand um, that perspective also. Thanks for letting us take our shallow dive just a little deeper. (laughs) 
All right, Kara wrote in about episode 152 and the couple who had quit drinking alcohol and were trying to deal with communicating that to their friends without revealing too much. I'm writing to you with a follow-up to episode 152 with the couple who wanted to know how to handle social gatherings now that they no longer drink alcohol. Nowadays, there are so many unique and wonderful non-alcoholic drinks that come in wine bottle-like bottles, and they make really great hostess gifts or BYOB, bring your own bottle. I've had people really appreciate this as a hostess gift as well as an offering we bring to the party when people are in between drinks of wine to enjoy and rehydrate. Some novelty herbal sodas and sparkling waters can be as expensive as a bottle of wine, so you aren't shortcutting on a gift. Another option is to bring a fun recipe for a mocktail to make for the party. And I will say the mocktail thing is really fun. I'm not a huge fan of the name mocktail, but I do think that it's really great to bring that non-alcoholic mix because then those who don't drink can enjoy the mix and those who do drink can add whatever alcohol they'd like to it. Our final piece of feedback comes from Josh, who got excited about the philosophy of etiquette postscript segment. I love this feedback, by the way. Dear Dan and Lizzie, just listened to the July 31st episode and your explanation of Hobbes and Rousseau on the social contract. I'm really excited about this and never expected to hear this discussion on your show. My interest in Emily Post etiquette is one part of my life and political theory another. On July 31st, they came together. (laughs) My next task in life is to create the syllabus for Government 101, Introduction to Political Theory, in which I teach Hobbes and Rousseau. I'm not an expert, but I've led discussions about these books for years. I agree with your principle. Without good manners, life is terrible. (laughs) You're right about Hobbes. If we don't treat each other well, we'll live in the state of nature, which is the state of war. That said, ultimately, he believes that because of our inherent selfishness, we won't treat each other well, regardless of good manners. So we need a strong state to enforce laws. I know you will find this interesting if you haven't read it already. In Leviathan Part 1, Chapter 11, in the chapter of the difference of manners, Hobbes wrote, By manners, I mean not here decency of behavior as how one man should salute another or how a man should wash his mouth or pick his teeth before company and such other points of the small morals, but those qualities of mankind that concern their living together in peace and unity. After that, he describes all the ways that our nature, anxiety, ignorance, self-importance, etc., makes living together impossible without a strong state. Rousseau had a complicated view of manners because he thought that the elaborate etiquette of the French court was completely phony. (laughs) People needed to be who they actually are, which is good. This reminds me of a small number of people I knew in the 60s who didn't think they needed any guide to their actions except impulse. If it feels good, do it. In the end, I'm not sure Rousseau did much for manners. (laughs) Most importantly, I'm delighted by your show and learn something new from every episode. Josh. Josh, thank you so much for the feedback about the philosophy of etiquette. It was definitely a little bit of a different direction Fun. for us, and we, we, we hope to be doing something like that again soon. Yeah. I was just rereading not the beginning of Emily Post Etiquette, the 1922 edition, but the introduction that was written by Emily's editor, oh, a okay. man named Mr. Duffy. And in it, he really looks at philosophy and the way manners and etiquette are related to core values, core morals, and some of the greatest thinkers of all time are referenced in that introduction. I hope to be bringing it to the show at some point in the near future, and you've encouraged me to to make that effort because it is a little complicated. And <laughs> um, But anyway, I appreciate the support, and we will get that done. And thank you to everyone else who sent us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's postscript is, Dan, because you're surprising me today, what have you got for us? 
Well, today I wanted to talk about something uh, brief but important. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk about an etiquette classic that's got a little bit of a, a new twist today, as they often do. I want to talk about splitting the bill. Okay, surprise, Nate. I, that was not what I thought you were going to go for. Okay, splitting so, the bill, total so classic. The new twist is I've, I've done a couple of interviews recently where people were wondering about apps that allow people to share expenses. Totally. Um, one of the most common is Venmo. Okay. And I had a personal experience recently, had some guests from the big city come up, and we were out, we being Pooja and myself, with several other couples. And yeah. um, someone asked, does everyone here use Venmo? I can take the bill and I can divvy it up and collect everybody's it. shares later and I'll just cover it for now. And I said to myself, I've heard about this Venmo thing. <laughs> but having recently experienced this, got an interview question about it and thought that it was worth revisiting the topic. I wanted to cover some of the basics and okay. then cover some of the new territory. All right. I'm ready. Like, Give it to me because... The first part is going to sound very familiar to you. Okay. Um, I want to say sometimes the most elegant solution is the simplest. Yes. And rather than feel aggrieved at something being unfair, I think that I want to start off by saying take some responsibility and speak up for yourself if you feel like you're paying more than your share or you're being asked to pay more than your share. And oftentimes an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure ahead of time. You can always ask for a separate check. So if you don't decide ahead of time to ask for a separate check, which is fine, mm -hmm. you can always talk ahead of time with the people that you're going to be dining with. If you're accepting an invitation for a date and you want to split the bill, say so as part of that RSVP. I'd love to join you, but I hope you don't think you're going to be paying. I really like to split the bill the first time I go. Something – and it doesn't need to be the first thing you mention, but um, it, it can come up yeah. at some point. So you're not wrestling for the check at the end of the night. Right. If you are going out with a larger group, it's okay to talk about it ahead of time the way the person that Pooja and I were dining out with the other day did. At the start of the meal, they said, does everyone here use Venmo? <laughs> I'm happy to pay the bill and to get back to everybody later about their specific shares. And Did anybody in that instance say, no, I don't? Actually, I chimed in and said I haven't ever used it before, but I've heard about it. I'm really curious. Let's do it. Did you feel confident that even if you didn't have the app, and let's just say you couldn't download it, that you could just give that person cash? I did. Okay, good. And I think that would be an important point of etiquette for someone who's suggesting this to be willing to accept or be willing to hear. Right. And these are new apps for some people. I do think that cash still rules everything cash around is king, me. Right? It yeah, is. Yeah, cash yeah. is king. And a lot of people don't want to sign up for money sharing apps. They're not comfortable with the idea yet. And so be respectful. If that. I'm, I'm guessing that would be one of our points. And right? we're jumping yeah. into that new territory, okay, but yeah. let's go there. Yeah. And I think you also need to be prepared to maybe give someone a little bit of latitude as yeah. they figure out how this works. Yeah. If they're a new user, they might not know that the courtesy is that you pay back a little quicker than you used to, that you respond to receiving that receipt with your owed share relatively quickly before that person has to pursue you and Again. ask you for it, that one of the, the courtesies around using these apps is that people use them pretty quickly. Okay. And that it's it's viewed as something that accelerates the expectation of when that borrowed money gets returned. Tell you, that certainly sounds like an app solving an etiquette problem. And the other <laughs> thought that I have there is that I appreciated the willingness of this particular person to teach me how to use it. Yeah. We were going to be spending a weekend together and it, it provided an opportunity for me to say, hey, could you show me how this works? Could Let you me help get some me practice with this. Yeah. get some practice using this? I love it. Um, I think a traditional etiquette is informative when using one of these new apps that there is a courtesy that you return something borrowed before someone has to pursue you to ask for. 
for it or that it doesn't take more than at most one reminder yeah and that you could think of getting that first share of what you owe as that first reminder and that you want to be sure that you get back to that person before they have to come again with other reminders some other thoughts about splitting the bill from a traditional perspective, I really like to think of it by the person. Oh, yeah. So if you're a couple out with a couple of single friends, that you would take half of the bill on yourself. Oh, meaning there were four people total, one couple and then two single friends. Exactly. Okay. If you're just going to split, you would – yeah. Really okay, think of you. it as heads at the table. <laughs> okay. Uh, another tip for splitting the bill that comes from traditional etiquette, include the tip when you calculate the share that you need to – chip in at the end. And the tax. The difference between 15 to 20 percent tipped on the regular bill, the bill and the tax, even just that difference between that 15 and 20 percent could be 15, 20, 30 dollars on a bigger meal. Yeah. And that can really feel awkward when you're the person who's collecting that money at the end and you feel like, boy, what I'm used to being an 18 to 20 percent tip is really much less. And then you're having to make up that difference. I I think it's courteous to think of that tip at the higher end of the scale when you're part of a group tip just so that someone isn't left holding the bag for that tip at the end of the meal. Well, and I mean, a larger table does take more time to clean up and take care of and all those things. It's a nice consideration to go to the high end of the tipping spectrum when you're a big group. I agree. And I think this is a courtesy that's particularly important when you decide to go with that solution that's just divide the bill up evenly, Yeah, which oftentimes is the simplest solution. And I think sometimes it's also worth reminding yourself, maybe you didn't have a drink this time, but next time you're going to have an appetizer or a soup that while it might feel like you get the short end of the stick every once in a while, hopefully every once in a while someone else is picking up that little bit of slack for you and it all comes out in the end. I try to do the thing where I order like a small salad or something like that that would kind of equate to a drink if I don't order a drink. That way I'm like, no, no, I didn't get a drink. But yes, I had a small salad. So we even out. Don't worry. A final thought that I want to leave is this is a place where sometimes people's feelings get a little hurt. Sometimes someone does feel like they've been taken advantage of. If you are that person who had a second drink when everyone else just had one or there was a bottle of wine that was shared by the table, but you had an extra soup, an extra app, an extra beverage that you might even offer to chip in just yeah. a little bit more. So had that that feeling of of being taken advantage of, headed off at the pass. And show your generosity of spirit by offering to chip in just a little bit more and to pay maybe a little bit more than your equal share. Dan, these are such great tips. And uh, the two closeout thoughts that I would give to it are, number one, be patient. Figuring out how you're going to split the bill and divide things up, all of that, it just takes a little bit of time. And it's okay for it to take a little bit of time and try to just be patient with it. Um, if, If the idea being suggested isn't what you expected, just give yourself that time to think about it in your head, to see how it might all work out. I'm often the person going, please don't make me download another app. Please don't let me sign up for another system. And so I often have to remind myself, be patient. Lizzie, you can always pay cash to the person who's offering to take everything. Like you could, There's always a solution. Just be patient and you'll find it. Money, I think, gets us to think quickly about what we need in the moment. And so it's really good to take that moment and say, it's okay. We're going to be able to solve this. Also, really good to just make sure that however you would like to do the checker bill, that the restaurant actually is okay with it. Some restaurants won't allow splits over a certain number on a table. Um, You know, things like that are just things to simply consider. If you can get that splitting the check ahead of time at the start of a meal to a server, it's a lot easier for them when it comes time to prepare the bill. 
We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I listen to your podcast every week and have heard you were short on etiquette salutes. A year ago, my best friend and I took a trip to Nashville to celebrate 4th of July, somewhere that was less than 110 degrees. The entire time I was in Tennessee, my friend and I kept noticing how nice people were. One moment in particular still stands out a year later. My friend and I had spent an entire day downtown exploring all Nashville had to offer. When we decided to head back to our car, we ran into a minor problem. We couldn't figure out which parking garage we parked in. Normally, I'm pretty good at remembering these things, but a few places looked alike. My friend and I stopped under an awning to Google the garage. While standing there, it started to rain, and Google didn't recognize the name of the parking garage anywhere in Tennessee. While we were standing there debating to go straight a few more blocks or turn, this lady stopped and asked if we needed help finding something. We told her we were just trying to find our parking garage, showed her the name on the stub, and explained what we remember seeing around us when we left the parking garage that morning. She quickly realized where we needed to be and gave us directions. She then walked with us for another two blocks so that we didn't make a wrong turn because we were apparently in a mildly sketchy area. After about two blocks and making sure we were comfortable walking the rest of the way, she split off from us. It was then that we found out she was helping us two lost girls while on her lunch break. It amazes me that someone noticed we were looking at a map and had taken the time out of their schedule, their only break, to help us find our way. I hope you all are having a fantastic fourth. Thank you, we did. And I look forward to hearing from you next week. Christina. That's just lovely. It's nice when you're in a strange place to have people just be nice. (laughs) The help of strangers can be invaluable. Right. And I am imagining that a lot of folks down in Texas right now are very grateful for the help of strangers. Uh, We really wanted to give an etiquette salute to all of those first responders and neighborhood responders, the community in Texas right now that is supporting each other so well, and everyone who is out there thinking good thoughts and, and sending their good wishes and good intentions down to the people in Texas. Natural disasters are a pretty darn scary thing, and it's really amazing to see the good of the community come out when they hit us. We certainly know that everybody who's responding to Harvey now uh, can use all of our support and that they're going to continue to need that support for many months and maybe even years to come. So a great big etiquette salute to all the people who are providing that support and who we know will continue to provide that support in the future. Thank you so much for listening to Awesome Etiquette today. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Help us out. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Our show is edited by the wonderful Chris Albertine. Thank you, Chris. Thanks.